Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're all in good spirits, and I hope you're all well. If you weren't here last week, the first question is, where were you? Chris preached a tremendous message, you know, you know to use colloquial language. It was a blinder. <laughs> On, and introduced this wonderful series called Glorious. Now, when we decided that we would talk about the glory of God, it's like looking at Mount Everest. You're totally intimidated. You feel overwhelmed. How can we talk about such a subject? But Chris introduced it beautifully last week. And as I said, if you did, weren't here, please get the podcast. But he talked autobiographically about the vineyard, and particularly in the 80s. Those of us who were still around in the 80s, were around in the 80s, one of the things that the movement was, became, became known for is intimacy with God in worship. And on my own testimony, when I started to come to the church 20 years ago when we were at Marlborough School, and I remember in the worship services, I just bawled my eyes out. I was just there. <laughs> and then come the time where, we're, where we, know, we get to know one another and say hello. Some of you love it and some of you hate it, I know. I would just be just tears everywhere, you know. And it's, as I said in the last service, it was always because I had an accident. It would just be pools of water. Some of you got that, some of you totally missed it. <laughs> so there was an, something that happened in the worship where we connected with God, and that was a fresh thing. It was a springtime in the life of the church. But as we began to discuss this as, as pastors, one of the things that we realized is that we got to know God as our Heavenly Father. We, we know we've got to understand how he affirms us, how his affection is upon us, how his approval is upon us, and he's our advocate, he stands up for us. And that's the part of Jesus that we felt comfortable with. But we need to also readdress the fact that Jesus is Lord, that he is King of Kings, that he is the governor of the universe. And Chris beautifully illustrated that, that to us through Mark's gospel, where Jesus is now standing before the Sanhedrin. He knows that he's, he's going to go to die on a cross. And the Sanhedrin want to have a means to actually, as it were, convict him. So, after they get frustrated because the the law says that the mouth of two witnesses, every word be established. They couldn't get two witnesses to say the same thing. So in the end, the high priest said to Jesus, are you the Mashiach? Are you the Christ? And we read in Mark 14, 62, this is how Jesus said, replies. I am, said Jesus. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds in heaven. And you need to see how Chris develops this. So get, you know, if you didn't see it, you, know, you need to see how he develops it. But what Jesus said had massive import. He wasn't just saying that he was anybody. He was referring to this passage, Daniel 7.13. And I'll read it for you. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and led into his presence. What Jesus was saying is, I'm the one. There must have been a gasp in the room. And then, of course, the high priest tore his robe 
and we knew what happened after that. He was accused of blasphemy. Now, we want to create a situation where we not only know Jesus as the one who affirms us and loves us, but as the one who is the son of man. And that's what we're going to look at today. So, you see Daniel 7, 13, 14. And let me just say, the book of Daniel, most people remember Daniel because of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And Abednego apparently was more like me. Right? And of course, Daniel in the lion's den. But the upper, upper, well, the stuff that is to do with the future... Most people don't remember. Those are the two stories. But Daniel actually was the prime minister to at least three different kings. And he prophesied about the, about the rise and the fall of at least four different kingdoms before it actually happened. So let's drop into Daniel 7, 13, 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Theologically, this is a theophany, a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ. Hmm. Cool, yeah? In it, we see that he's been given authority and sovereign power. The reality of that, we can read first in Matthew 28, 18. Now, Jesus now has been on the cross. He's made an open show of principalities and powers. He's dealt with sin and Satan and sickness. And after that, he appears to the disciples in Matthew 28, and in 18, and he says, all authority has been given to me. Now, what you need to understand is that in the garden, we lost the authority that God gave us. Genesis chapter 1, 28, 26 to 28 says that God gave us the dominion. But when we sinned, when we fell, we actually gave the authority to Satan. So one of the things Jesus did, besides redeeming us and dealing with our sin, he gets the authority back. You know, I like to picture it. He went down into Hades and Satan was there. And when he thought he'd got him, he hadn't got him. And when he went down there, he set the captives free and he said, right, thank you. Authority's mine now. Keys, thank you. He took it back. So that's why he says that all authority has been given to me. Jesus, the son of man. However, I'd like to also draw your attention in the Old Testament to Psalm chapter 2. Verses 1 to 12, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers from the 19th century, developed a church of over 5,000 people, Metropolitan Tabernacle. He says that this, he entitles this particular psalm, the Psalm of the Messiah Prince. So, let's read. Because I'm going to show you that this isn't just in Daniel, it's here in the Psalms. And it's talking about Jesus, the Son of Man. Now, here's the background. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. That cross-reference 
Acts 4, 29. When the disciples are before the Sanhedrin because they'd healed people and they wanted to, to do them in, basically. They quote this verse. Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in the heavens, he laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I just want to stop. What you need to see here is that the whole of the world is plotting against God and his people. And God has an antidote in the person of Jesus. So here we go. I have installed my king, the king is Jesus, on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, this is the ancient of days, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now that's a really fierce psalm. But what it's saying here is this. Look, let's change the idiom. Let's get into the 20th century. There are indeed, even now, forces at work in our society who want to remove every aspect of Christian judeo principles from our society. You may not realize this, but in education, in business, in commerce, in government. There are key people there who would like, if they had the opportunity, to remove every vestige of the Judeo-Christian principles that have been part of our nation for centuries. They are working now. Now, they may be plotting behind closed doors. They may be the secular humanists. The academics, and by the way, I have nothing against academics. You know, unfortunately, I'm now part of that community. <laughs> Who seek to believe that unless you can prove it empirically, scientifically, experimentally, that's rather good, isn't it? <laughs> then you can't, it's not true. You see, that's what's happening through the media. Let me say something. If you are addicted to the news channels, be careful. Because you see, on the news channels, we have wonderful people who speak so eloquently. And in fact, the young lady, a woman I'm thinking of, she's very able, you know, Laura Kingsberg or whatever her name is, you know, it's blah, 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 and blah, 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 and blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. Even in the Palace of Westminster in the central area there, she's there, blah, 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 and she's very good. And if you didn't know anything about what the scriptures said, you'd have thought that it's Laura Klinsberg and the media that's running things. 
But what you don't know, my MP, which is Andrew Salis, who comes here, he took us up to the Palace of Westminster. And you may not know this, but if you, want to, if you are an MP and you want to speak in the chamber, as they call it, you can't do that unless you go to prayers in the morning because every morning about 11 o'clock, the sergeant at arms comes with the chaplain and it's a ceremony and they go in. And if you're not there at prayers, you can't speak in the house. But of course, they don't tell you this on the media. Actually, in the central court, in Latin, it says, unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor, labor in vain. Around the whole of the House of Parliament is the Lord's Prayer because our Victorian forefathers are more confident about their faith than we are. So while they're plotting, what is God's response? The one enthroned in heavens, it says, laughs. You see, because all the foolishness, all the foolishness of God is greater than all the wisdom of man. Paul tells us. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. And he terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king in, on Zion, my holy hill. In other words, you can plot as much as you like, but I have installed my king, the son of man, Jesus, upon my holy hill, Zion. Zion was the stronghold of David, and of course it's a picture of the church. So I'm just giving the interpretation there. And I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, Jesus. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of your earth for your possession. In other words, here's the interesting thing. You see, you need to understand something here. That when Satan fell to the earth, he had control and a possession here. But Jesus, when he came, the father's given it to him. So while you may be under this, the, the deception that Satan runs things, let me tell you something. God has, through the person of his son Jesus, raised him up to such a place, and through what he's done at Calvary now, he has taken the authority back, and he rules, and he reigns, and he runs things, and nations, it says there, will come to him, his inheritance, and the ends of the earth are his possession. It belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to Satan. You will break them with a rod of iron. In other words, where there's oppression, where people have been restrained, where people have been restricted, where the governors of this world have put people under oppression, Jesus comes to break it in the name of Jesus. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. All those people who are there, proud in the imagination of their hearts, sitting there, ministers of government, this, that, and other, thinking they're running things, Jesus is going to deal with them. Or to use Jamaican vernacular, put them under manners. <laughs> Go on, preach it then. Therefore, you kings, therefore, you ministers, therefore, you prime ministers, therefore, you presidents, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. What he's saying here is this, it doesn't matter how big you are, it doesn't matter if you're a Trump, it doesn't matter if you're a Obama, it doesn't matter if you're a Theresa May, it doesn't matter who you are, you will serve him. There's Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate says to him, 
Do you, do you know I have authority? And Jesus looks up at him through all of the pain and all of the, the, the ravages of that scourging and says, you have no authority unless I gave it to you. We need to understand this, that none of these kings and nations and governments have authority unless God gives it to them. And Jesus is in control of things, so don't panic, friends. I'm getting into this. Kiss the son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. This scripture gives me encouragement because when I do sit down and watch the news channels, if I don't know these scriptures, then I'm panicking like everybody else. The ancient of days has sent his son Jesus to rule in the midst of human affairs and to bring judgment on a world that suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. It's Romans 1.8. So then, all nations worship him. He is the king over every institution and monarchy. He's the governor. Philippians 2.9 to 10 says this. Because Jesus humbled himself, it says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. He's king over everybody's king in. He's lord over everybody's lording in. There's no one like Jesus. He's the son of man. Either we bow the knee before him now as the glorious one, or we'll have to do so in the future, in the judgment. For it pointed once for a man to die, then comes judgment, Hebrews tells us, and we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive that which we've done in the flesh, whether it be good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Daniel 2.14 then says, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now Daniel, prophesied about four different kingdoms. There were, of course, the Babylonians, and then the Medes and the Persians, and then the Romans, but they all disappeared. But there's one kingdom that will never be destroyed, the kingdom of God. And you know why? Because the ruler of that kingdom is the son of man, the king of kings, the lord of lords. He's indestructible. And he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. In Revelation, John on the island of Pathmos has a post-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. He's there in exile, 95 AD. Revelation, a book that speaks of the end times. And here again, Daniel, John, like Daniel, is trying to speak of what he's trying to see without any natural reference point. So let's pick it up at verse 12. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. These are the seven churches. And among the lancers was someone like the, like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash across, across his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. 
His feet like burnished bronze or bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Niagara Falls. In his right hand, he held seven stars, which are the seven churches. And coming out of his mouth was what? A sharp, double-edged sword. The type of sword that centurions used, Roman centurions used. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, what could John do? I fell at his feet, although dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys, because he got those back when he went down into Hades, of death and Hades. So this now is a cross-reference from Daniel 7 that we've been looking at. Well, Daniel, yes, Daniel 7. 2 7. And let's just look at some of the different symbols we have here. Hmm, I've done well. I have more time to expand it. <laughs> okay, that's always dangerous because you get carried away. Here we go then. He's the son of man. This speaks of his supremacy. Oh, let me just say by way of parenthesis, if you don't get that all down, don't worry, we've got it on the website, so you'll be able to pick it up and get the scriptures and play with it then, okay? Because I'm giving you some homework, yeah? Okay. But I just want to present it to you. The son of man, this speaks of his supremacy and role as Lord, ruler, and love for us as believers. And you can look at those scriptures there. The robe means distinction. You see, this isn't Jesus presented as a babe in a manger. This is Jesus with a robe of distinction. And he portrays Christ as the judge and ruler over all. Get the idea that Jesus is the governor of the universe in his robe. And of course, we understand that he is there and he is regal and he is royal and he's the governor. And of course, he's a ruler over the church as well as over the world. Then the golden sash, which is a woven sash worn by priests. Of course, it refers to his glory, his deity. You remember what John said? John 20, 31, he said, I've written this book that you might know beyond reasonable doubt that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, his deity. It's also referring to the fact that Christ is our high priest. Remember what Hebrews tells us, that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, and it also says that he ever lives to make intercession for us in Hebrews. Here, like wool. Well, if you cross-reference this, you would see, you talk about the ancient of days. So what is it talking about? Age, wisdom, honor, Respect, you know, Proverbs tells us that we honor the age, especially the gray-haired ones. Yep, most of us color right here, so we don't get the respect. <laughs> Eyes like blazing fire. 
Imagine that day when you stand, we stand before him, he looks into our eyes. All that's within our hearts will be revealed like that. It says of the Lord that his eyes are too pure to even behold iniquity. So his eyes are as fire, they burn into you. Penetrating insight, strength, his sovereignty. He's also a warrior. Exodus 15:3, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. Bronze feet speaks of his judgment. Anytime you see bronze in the scriptures, the bronze plater or the heavens as brass, it's talking about God's judgment. So when he stands, and I like the uh, King James here, it says his feet like burnished bronze. It's talking about judgment. His judgments are true. This is not an easy thing for us because we like Jesus, meek and mild and beautiful. And, yeah? But here he's standing as the judge over the whole earth. Out of his mouth goes what? A double-edged sword. Of course, he's referring to the power of his word, the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder of bone and marrow, determining the thoughts and intents of our heart. In other words, when he speaks, the word comes forth and it, it, it cuts through the stuff. Some of you may have experienced it. You know, you get a, a word, you're there, and someone brings a word and it just... cuts right through it. So out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword. It cuts through the stuff. It cuts to the heart. Finally, the sun shining in all its brilliance speaks of its glory. John, in the first chapter, he said this. Chapter 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, this is the Jesus who we are speaking. And as the governor of the universe as the one who is majestic in holiness, the one who is supreme, the one who has conquered sin and Satan and death, who's victorious, the one who is our great high priest, the one whose eyes are like blazing fire, who can look into our lives and see through everything that goes on, the one who brings judgments into our lives that are right and true, whose mouth out of his mouth goes a two-edged sword, the word of God that cuts through the things that we seek to hide is the one who is glorious. You remember when Moses went into the presence of God that he came out and his face was shining? Paul also tells us that as we behold his glory, we are being changed from one degree of glory to another. This is the Jesus, the glorious one. Now, how do we respond to such a message as this? Because in preparing it, it was not easy. We need to understand this, that we need to repent in our lives of those areas where we 
have not allowed Jesus to be Lord. Where we have in our anxiety and in our worry about what's going on in the nation, in the world, taking it upon ourselves. Look, you need to understand this, hear it. Jesus is Lord. He's governor of the universe. All those people that you listen to on, you know, the Lord of Greensburg and the blah, blah, blah people, right? God bless them. But the reality, they are not running things because God has put his king upon his throne, Zion, Jesus, and he's given him the earth for his inheritance and the ends of the earth for his possession. In other words, he's still running things. And we need to understand that God is going to Scatter the proud in the imagination of their hearts, as the Magnificat says, Psalm 2. He's going to bring them low because Jesus is Lord. He's Lord in the church. He's Lord in the earth. And there's coming a day when he comes back, when every eye will see him, every tongue will confess him as Lord. This is the Lord that we serve. And we need to bow before him. Should we stand? Band, could you come up, please? Last week, it was very significant as we as a congregation bowed, kneeled down before the Lord our God. I'm going to ask you to do that this week. However, I do believe, and I felt God spoke to me in the second service, the first service, and said to me that we need to repent of the fact of the areas in our lives where the Lord is not sovereign where we seek to take control or where we seek to manage and actually we need to learn to trust and we need to learn to bow down because this Jesus is the glorious one. He hasn't given up on his world. We are the sheep of his pasture. We have not made ourselves. He is Lord. He's our God. Let's pray. Father, We thank you that you sent the Son of Man, the glorious one. Yes, full of grace and truth, but the one whose eyes are as fire. Here is wool, and out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword. His face is like the sun shining in its countenance. Jesus, the governor of the universe. We bow the knee to you, Lord Jesus. Because there is no one like you. We thank you, oh God, that the nations will bow down before you. Because you are God. And Father, as your people, we bow down before you. We say that you are sovereign, that you are Lord, that you are God. And every knee will bow before our Lord Jesus. Because he's the glorious one. And everybody said, Amen. Can you hear the thunder?